talking to you. The conference has all been on YouTube. I would like to stop and remind, remind it's all in beta mode. So you'll see some errors going on. Beta, please be gentle with me, all right? <laughs> so we're just we're learning the system. I think we got it up and going now. Um, Brother Matt's been a huge help with it. So if you see some errors in there, beta mode. We're, we're working on it. We're getting it good. Exodus chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1. If you're able to, why don't we stand together for the reading of the Word of God? We'll read Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It says, Now Moses kept the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flocks on the backside of the desert. And he came to the mount of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire. But the bush was not consumed. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, but put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we stop to take a look at your word, we pray, Lord Jesus, that our hearts will be tender to the message delivered. We've been through a lot of preaching this week. We've heard a lot of great men, men way better than me, when it's come to preaching and opening up our hearts and trying to hear what you have to say, having the ears to hear. I pray, Lord God, that this message now, Lord, would be a boost to that, that you would help guide my tongue, that you would help me get out of the way and get your word go clear. And we love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. Praisings your name. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight we get to talk about one of my favorite subjects. As we look here, we see Moses. Moses is obviously one of the most influential people in human history, right? Even if you're not a saved person, you realize Moses was instrumental in the three major religions in the world. He is one of the most famous people in human history. I looked at several websites this week. Every website I went to, whether it was Times, L.A. Times, whatever, all of them had Moses listed in the top 25 most influential people in human history. And here as we see Moses, he's not the great man yet, is he? No, he's on the backside of the desert. As Moses is here, he spent the first 40 years growing up in the lap of luxury, hasn't he? He, you know, we remember the story about him in the little ark, being put down in the river, being drawn up, getting the name Moses from Pharaoh's daughter-in-law, being adopted into her family, being kind of raised up in the lap of luxury. Yeah, he knew his Jewish roots. Obviously, Jochebed was the one who actually raised him. He was his nurse. And he got to the point at age 40 where he esteemed the, where he esteemed the reproach of God greater than all the treasures in Egypt. And think kind of acted like a hothead, right? Went around, killed, we saw a Hebrew being, you know, being whipped, got kind of hot-headed, killed the guy, did a bad job hiding the body. How do you know it was a bad job? Because the next day everyone already knew where it was at. He could do a little bit better job getting rid of the body, right? I'm from Vegas, he could have asked me for help. And then for that, from there, of course, he runs, to, um, runs out to the desert, meets Jethro, um, meets a pretty little young lady, they get married have two kids, and he just kind of lived his life, right? He's been on the backside of the desert for another 40 years, so 80 years old. 
you know, this isn't the time of like Adam stuff. Eight years old, he's kind of expecting the end of his life. He's looking back and saying, well, I thought I had a purpose in this world. I thought God wanted me to do something great. I tried to stay in it for God. Now he's just kind of living the life, right? One day he's out there in the middle of nowhere, getting up to the mountain of God, and sees something odd. A bush that was on fire. Kind of weird, right? It makes me stop and look. Yet the bush was not consumed. He saw that and then said, I will now turn aside. And when God saw his faith there, it wasn't just him saying, whoa, look, let me go check this out. No, it was a decision. Because he already saw it. He already knew something was going on. But he made a decision. And as he came there, what happened next can only be described in one word. Revival. Revival is when we are 100% right with God. When our hearts align up with the will of God. Moses realized something was happening there and he got his right, his heart right with God. He got to this point, the state of the spiritual being that is totally and wholly surrendered to God and ready to obey his every impulse of God. Revival is a great thing. Have you ever stopped and wondered why the South is the Bible Belt? We know Miss Levine's from down south, right? Have you ever wondered why, why are there so many Baptist churches down south? Why is it you can't throw a rock without hitting one? History lesson time. 1755, Sandy Creek, North Carolina. A small little church got a heart for revival. From this little church, and before the country was even formed, because they decided to get their hearts right with God. They strived to get to know God. They confessed their sins. They pleaded to see the face of God. Their little church saw revival. Seventeen men from that church said, Hey, God has called us to preach. We're going to go out there and start a church. And those seventeen guys actually started 47 churches. Amazing, right? By 1772, they started three associations there in, New, in uh, the young America, before America, about starting churches. They can, we can directly trace a thousand churches back to Sandy Creek. And really, when you look at it, even more. There's a thousand churches that are directly related to that. And more and more from just 17, pre, 17 from that little tiny church in Sandy Creek that said, we want revival. We want God. Let's look a little closer to home, right? Williamstown, Massachusetts. I talked to the kids about this a few weeks ago. August of 1806, five Bible college students were walking home from church one night, and a storm kicked up. Rain started coming down, so these guys tried to go find some shelter. They jumped in a haystack. Seems like an odd spot for me, but hey, that's what they wanted to do. They jumped in the haystack, and instead of wasting the time, instead of just gossiping or something, they decided to seek the Lord. They started praying. They started confessing their sins. They started doing the best thing that they could to see the face of God, to get revival. And those five guys got their hearts so right with God. They saw so much revival. They went out and started the very first foreign, um, foreign missions in America, foreign missions board in America. Every missionary can, from America can trace their roots back to these five guys who were in a haystack saying, I want to see God. Why can't we have that at White Oak Baptist Church? Why can't we see the greatest, the next great revival in American history start tonight? Why can't we see revival in our church 
God is not weak to do it. God wants us to see revival. Moses was just one man in the backside of the desert. And because of this one man's decision, the revival of one man, man history has been changed, hasn't it? Man history has been impacted, hasn't it? Tonight, I want to challenge you and push you towards revival. I want to look back at the revival of Moses, the revival of that one man, and compel you to see revival in your own life. Compel you to go closer in God. Compel you to see the greatest work since then, to see the great and powerful work of God. God wants you to see revival. God wants your influence to help change the world. If that's true, what's stopping revival? First off tonight, I want to look at the crimp stopping revival. The crimp stopping revival. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 10, he says, Come now, therefore, I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? That I should bring forth the children out of Egypt. He put a crimp in revival. When I think about a crimp, I think about a hose, right? You guys guys have done this before, washing the car. Oh, you got to do something so you you crimp the hose so water doesn't spew out. Right? We crimp the hose. Are we crimping revival? Are we crimping the work of God, stopping it from going forth? Number one, through our faithlessness, through our faithlessness, the biggest enemy revival is the fact that we just don't believe it's going to happen. We just don't have the faith to believe it's going to happen. Bro Levine, it's the end times. It's going to be a great falling away. We ain't going to see revival. Good face. It's, it's hard out there, Brother Levine. It just can't happen nowadays. Really? Well, without faith. It is impossible to please God. Yes, no matter, it is not possible to please God without faith. No wonder we don't see revival if we don't have the faith. Yeah, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, right? But God is stronger. Moses here is all like, but, but God, who am I? I'm a no one. God's like, yes, but I am the one. Hey, faithlessness is a despicable disease to whom we often fall prey. It, it is us saying, well, God, it just isn't going to happen. I'm not even trying. It is us giving up before we even start, saying, God, I don't believe you are strong enough to do revival. God, I don't believe you can do it in this day and age. It is too hard now for it to happen. Man, how is our faith? We run around like Eeyore. I mean, life is rough. It's so hard to be a Christian in America. Really. Oh, man, we just don't have the faith for it. It makes me want to yell at them, be like the Apostle Paul. Be of good cheer. I believe God. Hey, do we have the faith to believe there is going to be revival? Or are we going to sit here and say, God, I don't believe you can do it. No, I'm not going to, no, it's not going to happen. And crimp revival. Is it going to be our fearless, our fearfulness? That's going to crimp revival, our fear, our fearfulness. Moses said in chapter 4, verse 1, But behold, they will not believe me. Neither will they hearken unto my voice, 
They'll say, the Lord has not appeared unto thee. Sometimes revival doesn't happen because we're afraid it will happen. We're afraid that if we see revival, it might change our lives. And you know what? You're right. It will change our lives. If we are seeking after God, if we are loving God so much, yes, it will change your lives. It will make you a better husband. It will make you a better wife. It will make you a better mother. It will make you a better child. It will make you a better employer. It will make you a better employee. It will make you a better person. It will make you hate sin more. If you cast revival tonight, you might do something crazy. Like, get rid of your cable and stop watching the filth that's on there. And if, if, if you catch revival tonight, you might do something crazy like throw out the rock music. Get rid of that country music, the stuff that is against God. You might do something crazy like pass out a track. You might do something crazy as in fall in love with the Savior who bought you. Surrender to become a missionary. Surrender your life to say, God, whatever you want to do, jump on the bus on a Sunday morning. If we see revival, yeah, that might change your life. Sometimes we'll crimp revival because we're too afraid. I don't, I don't know if I'm ready for that kind of change yet. Then you probably need it. If you are afraid of revival, we're in need then of revival. We, we crimp revival. We stop God from going, God, I'm too scared to pass out a track. God, I'm too scared to see your face. God, I'm too scared to hate my sin. And we crimp revival through our fearfulness, our faithlessness, and our luxuriousness we have here in America. It says over in um, chapter 4, verse 10, Moses said unto the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I- I'm not eloquent. N- neither therefore, well, for since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but, but, but I am slow of speech. I have a slow tongue. If you guys didn't know, historically, Moses stuttered. M- Moses had a trouble speaking. Even sometimes in the Hebrew culture, when we talk Moses, sometimes we do the stutter on purpose to kind of honor him. M- M- Moses had this stuttering issue, right? I like God's response here. And whenever I read this, I kind of get the accent going on with it. Because when I see God looked at him, I think God looked at him and said, Who made, that? Who made man's mouth? Come on, seriously. Who made man's mouth? Right? Who made the dumb, the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? But, but God, I, I can't speak right. Yeah, I know I made your mouth. Now therefore go, I, I will be thy mouth. I will t- and teach thee what thou shalt say. But, but, but God, I can't speak. Yeah, I know I made your mouth. I chose you to have that. I gave that to you for a reason, Moses. And as we talk about revival, sometimes the luxuriousness gets in the way. We just get uh, uncomfortable. But, but God, I, I'd be uncomfortable speaking in public. That's, that's scary. And we try to crimp revival. But, but God, I, I just can't do this. Hey guys, we have, it just makes us uncomfortable. Does the thought of making yourself uncomfortable for God make you feel kind of uncomfortable? Do, you, do we allow the luxuries we really have here in America to crimple us to crimple the work of God. Because I love America a lot. I'm so glad we live here. I have four brothers currently serving in the military. Two, two brothers named Adam in the Air Force stationed in Germany. How's that for you? One in New Mexico and a brother-in-law who's a Marine stationed at the Pentagon. That just sounds manly, doesn't it? 
doesn't it? I love America. We have it so good here. You know, we have so much technology. We're in this nice church. You know, it's cold outside, right? Oh, but it's nice and warm in here. I like it. I think, I think it feels good in here. Some of you might think it's too hot. What do you guys think? Too hot? Not from the guy from the desert. We have a nice, nice padded pews. The idea of having to give this up to go to Africa. I, God, I, I wouldn't want to do that. The idea of giving this up to have to go over to Afghanistan. Oh, God, I, I couldn't go to Afghanistan. They kill people there. And we crimple the work of God because we're not surrendered to him. Are we going to allow God to, are we going to allow our luxuriousness, our iPhones, our TVs, our cars, crimple the work of God? Is there any item, any luxury, any 21st century piece of property or anything that would, that is more, that would stop you from obeying God that, that you just can't live without? Man, I just can't live without it. Well, then that might be your God. That might be the thing that matters most to you. It will be, it will be an idol in your life. Too many Americans are more worried about being, care, about being comfortable. They're more worried that I'm going to actually end on time than if the Holy Spirit is working. And we'll crimple the work of God. We'll crimple the Holy Spirit. No, we don't want you to hear it. I don't want it, God. Because we're too afraid. We don't have the faith to believe God will do it. Or it's just plain I'm too comfortable. We crimple the Holy Spirit's work like someone stomping on that water hose. But guys, let me tell you about the capability we have for revival. Number two, the capability for revival. We are capable for revival because, number one, the power of the Savior. The power of the Savior. Um, chapter 3, verse 13, Moses said, Well, when I come to the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your father sent me unto you. They shall say, well, what is his name? What shall, what shall I say to them? And God said unto him, I am that I am. Oh, it's a powerful saying there. He said, thus shall the seed of the children of Israel. I am has sent you. That name, I am, is a very powerful name. If you notice there in your Bible, it's actually completely cap-locked. Because it is the, a proper name for God. He is the I am. He is what? Well, he is the above all. He is the almighty. He is timeless. He is the one above all and over all. He is the alpha, the omega, and the beginning and the end. How capable are we revival? For, are we for revival? We are capable as God is strong. Matthew 28, 18. All power is given unto me. Hey, God has the power. God has the power to send revival. I like Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too hard for God? Go, go ask Abraham. Abraham, you're no man. Can God really give you a son? <laughs> yeah, we call him laughter. So we laughed at him. Isaac. David, he's a big giant. Is there anything too hard for God? Yeah, we got that giant. Is there anything too hard for God? But Brother Levine, it's hard here in America. It's a wicked nation. Nineveh was worse. Man, Nineveh was so bad, not even the preacher wanted to be there. And look at the revival that started there. Man, 
Look at the look at the time of Josiah, the Josiah revival. It was so bad that they were stumbling around. They accidentally found a Bible. Look what we found in the temple. Mind blown. There's a Bible in the temple. Whoa. Hey, how strong is your God? He is all powerful. He is the Almighty. He has all power. Is God able to send revival? Yes. Capability of revival? God's capable. He has the, we have the power of the Savior. But it then really depends upon the posture of the saints. Verse 6. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face and was afraid to look upon him. The biggest thing stopping revival isn't something out there. No, no. It's our attitudes. God gave us the formula for revival. It's not hard. It's written A, B, C, D. And over in second... um, in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Open up to there if you can. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If you don't have, if you underline your Bible, this is one of those verses that should be like underlined and starred. This tells us exactly how to see revival. It says, if my people, this is God talking, my people, who are the people of God? Us, the Christians, the saved. He goes on to make sure we understand it. Which are called by my name, the Christians. Christ, Christians, see, we're called by his name. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Whose wicked ways? Our wicked ways. I mean, if we want, to, if we want revival... We have to humble ourselves. We have to pray. We have to seek God's face. We have to turn from our wicked ways. We're not talking about the unsaved. We're not talking about the murderers and the whoremongers out there in the world. No, we're talking about ourselves. We're looking at ourselves. If we will seek revival, if we will seek God's face, if we will pray, then, God says, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and we will heal their land. God told us, if we want revival, if we want to see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, if we want to see the greatest work happens, we have to humble ourselves. We have to get down on our faces. Get down and pray, God, God, I am so sick of my sin. God, I want you more than anything. We have to be able to get down. God, I need you. I am nothing. You are the everything. Spending hours in prayer confessing our sins, getting our hearts completely right with God, truly humbling ourselves, naming the sins and fleeing from them if we want to see revival. I'll tell you one of the greatest times I ever saw revival was at the small little church out outside of Champaign, Illinois. It is so small, I couldn't even find it on Google Maps when I tried. It's a small little place. The pastor from Champaign came over and pretty sure brought some of his guys with us. We had a group of guys there that were going to go out and be evangelists for the summer. And as the pastor preached that night, it was a powerful message. He preached for about an hour. And then was the altar call. And it wasn't a five-minute altar call. It was hours long that we came down and we cried, 
Grown men crying and naming their sins, crying after God for hours and hours, saying, God, we want to see you more than we want anything else. God, we want you. God, help us get away from these sins. God, I hate lying. I hate the filthiness of this world. We want you. And from that revival meeting there, in this church is so small, Google Maps couldn't find it. That summer, we saw over a thousand people saved in three months. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. Man, we need to seek after God. Are we humble enough to get on our faces and confess our sins? Are we able to admit the filthiness that goes on in our minds, recognizing that this thing that I is, is evil, it is an offense against God, it is an attack against the holiest? Or are we just going to be too worried about making sure we're out of here by 8.15? Are we going to ask and going to beg and spend time seeking for revival? Brother Levine, it might cost you something. It should cost you your all. Romans 12.1 I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. It should put a sacrifice on the altar. We should get down. God, we need you. God, I need to see your face. Are you angry at your sin? God, I hate that thing. It is wicked. It is despicable. God, we need you so much. Are we willing to humble ourselves, put our face to the ground? God, help us. God, we need you, not for five minutes, but until, stay at the altar, until we are totally and wholly right with God. Or is it too inconvenient for us? Is it just not the program? Is it, or is it just, that's not something luxurious. I don't want that. Oh, I'd be afraid what people would think of me if I sat there and prayed and prayed and prayed. I, I, I don't know if God would really answer that prayer, Brother Levine. Or are we going to sit there and God, I am not going to get up from this altar. I'm going to wrestle with you just like Jacob did until you put revival in my heart. Until I know I am completely right with you. Until I can clearly hear your Holy Spirit. God, help me. I need you. And are we going to focus on seeing revival? What will happen if we do that? What will happen if we then prostrate ourselves and get the power of God? Number three, we'll see the consequences of revival. The consequences of revival. The first consequence would be salvations. Would be salvations. Look at the story here. We know what's going on, right? We can, we can kind of look ahead. We know what's going to happen. The salvation of the country of Israel, physically and spiritually. We know that God will do the mighty work and God will save them. And any time revival breaks out, revival should, any time revival breaks out, salvations are always sure to follow. Psalm um, 51.12, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. David's like, I want to see, I want that revival again. Uphold me with thy free spirit. And then, Will I teach transgressors thy ways? And sinners will be converted onto, the, onto thee. Anytime we fully surrender to God, salvations are sure to follow. People will get saved when we get our hearts right with God. Just like the book of Acts. When you look at the book of Acts, chapter 2, when we see the Holy Spirit coming down, in chapter 1, for 40 days, the church had been gathering. For 40 days, they had been praying and seeking God's face and seeking God's will. And it says in verse um, 
Acts 2, 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were, they were all with one accord in one place. They were there together praying. And suddenly there came from heaven as the sound of a mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And appeared on them cloven tongues of fire and sat upon them. And when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They got revival in their heart. They got as much of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit got all of them. They went out there and they started teaching everybody. God gave them a great miracle that day. They went out there and started speaking their language. And suddenly people was like, I speak Hebrew. How can I hear this guy? I'm speaking Greek and I hear this guy. Man, I'm all the way from Africa and I'm understanding these guys. And a great, great work happened. So much that as they were preaching... They actually interrupted the preacher in verse 37 and says, when they heard this, they were pricked in the heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the men and brethren, what shall we do? And of course we know, they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them 3,000 souls. Because that church saw revival, 3,000 people, not just got saved, but got baptized joined the church, and continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, and in fellowship, and in breaking bread. Because this church saw revival. Salvations follow every time we, Christians, see revival. We'll see, re- we'll see salvations. Number two, we'll see sanctification. We again, looking back at the story, we know it's going to happen. Moses starts off here saying, but, but, but God, but God is complaining. By the time we get over to Exodus chapter 34, he is so close from God, it says in verse 29, that it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets in Moses' hands, that he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not, wist not that the skin of his face shone while I talked to them. Man, Moses went from being this guy like, look, there's a burning bush, let's go check it out. Just kind of seeking after God, to being so close to God, he actually, his like, skin was actually like glowing. And they got scared, uh, can we put like a veil on that or something, Moses? He got that close to God. And the more time we spend on our faces, God, I need to hear from you. The more time we'll open up our Bibles, God, show me from your word. The more we'll spend time seeking revival the more sanctified we will become. Sanctification is a big word, meaning growing more and more closer to Jesus. Just as when a baby is born, it slowly and grows and grows and grows more and more. A Christian, guys, we should be growing, growing, farther and farther from away from sin, and closer and closer to Christ. The more and more we grow to love God, the more and more and more we'll hate sin, the more we'll go closer to Jesus. If we're truly seeking God's face, truly desiring revival, we'll want nothing more than closer to God. I try not to use Kiara too much as my sermon illustrations, especially since most of y'all, when she gets bigger, will be like, I remember wiping your old butt in the nursery, right? But the other day, she kind of really got me with one. Every morning, like at 6 o'clock, I don't use an alarm clock nowadays. I have Kiara. She'll come running into the room. Can you cook me breakfast? Daddy, I'm hungry. Can you give me something to eat? Like every morning I got six o'clock. Yeah, kid, go back to sleep. And the other day she's up here. Daddy, Daddy, will you go cook me something? I started thinking, man, do I desire my devotions as much as she's desiring food? She'll wake up early for it and go and ask. She'll go and seek after it. 
Or is it kind of like, if I get around to it, am I as hungry for the Word of God as she is for a bagel? Am I desiring to hear from the Creator of the universe? Let's switch she wants some cereal. Job said, look, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. If it's a choice between breakfast or the Bible, shouldn't the Bible win? Shouldn't we desire the Bible and hearing from God more than our... I like the words Job. I mean, God did a good job when he wrote the Bible, right? I'm glad we use the King James. Every word is there perfectly. He says, more than my necessary food. Is food necessary? Yes. You'll die without it. It's necessary food. I want the Bible more than what I need to live. I need this more than I need food. And we need food to survive. Don't stop eating. You need it in your lives. So if we are truly seeking revival, man, that Bible will become precious to us. You, you all have been really hungry before? I mean, you know, the Bible says, to the hungry soul, any bitter thing is sweet. I don't care what it is. Just get it to me. Have we ever been like that with the Bible? I mean, I don't care where in the Bible is. Just give me the Bible. God, I don't care what you're going to tell me to do right now. Just tell me something to do. God, I don't know what I'm going to pray for right now. Just, I'm just going to sit here and just keep on praying until you tell me something to pray for, and I'll start praying for it. Are we truly getting more and more sanctified, getting closer and closer to Jesus? If we are truly seeking revival, people will be saved. We'll grow closer to Jesus. We'll be sanctified. And thirdly, we'll start surrendering to the will of God. So we'll start surrendering more to the will of God. We see Moses surrender, really, in chapter 4, verse 18. And Moses went and returned to Jethro's father-in-law and said, Let me go, I pray thee, and return to my brethren which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. God, I'm going to do your plan. I'm their God. And if we are seeking revival, and if people are getting saved, we're becoming closer to Jesus, we'll get to the point where we're going to surrender and say, God, I will do anything you want me to do. God, I want to do, I don't care what it is, God. I want, my, I want you to be the one in charge of my life. When I got called back to preach back there in Lancaster, I mean, I begged God to send me to the mission field. For three years, God, send me to the mission field. God, here am I, send me. That's the verse God used to call me, Isaiah 6, 8. I want God, God, send me somewhere. I don't care if I can't speak another language. I'll learn it. I, God, send me somewhere. And I, for three years, was begging God and begging God, God, send me somewhere. Send me to the foreign mission field. I was actually, I actually even traveled to Baptist International Missions Incorporated, B-I-M-I. You've heard of it before. You see a lot of our missionaries go through. Biggest mission, mission organization in America. I spent a week there. God, send me as a missionary. And God had to say, no. You're supposed to be preached here in America to kids. I have a calling for you here. Man, what if we got to that point again? Say, God, I don't care what it is. I want to do it. The Apostle Paul was like that in Acts 16. Now, uh, Acts 16, 16. Now, when they had gone throughout Pergamon, the regions of Galatia, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to go into Asia. And they, they wanted to go to Asia. Got them. No, 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 no. I, I got a job for you. It's over here. So they went over in verse 7, and they came to Messiah, and after that to Berthia, and the spirits of Rome, they tried to find God. I want to do... No, 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 no. Your job is Macedonia. Hey, what if we actually started surrendering 
to whatever God wants us to do. Start begging, God, I want to serve you. I don't care where it is. I don't care how it is. God, I will start serving you. Instead of having to have people come and beg you, will you come work in the nursery? Will you come help out in the bake? No, no, no. Our hearts will be right with God, so we'll be volunteering. Hey, Brother Brother Segrew, when do we go over to the nursing home? Hey, can can I help out in the nursery? I'm going to jump on the bus. Hey, no, if our hearts were surrendered, it wouldn't matter if it's here in America, over in Asia, over in Australia. Man, we would want to serve God. We'd be volunteering for it. Our hearts would be saying, God, I want to love you. I want to show my love to you. By doing something for you. I want to show my love. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The surrendered life is a life that makes a difference for God. If we're seeking revival, one of the consequences of it is that we'll be wanting to serve God, surrender to His calling, no matter what it's going to be. God, I don't care where I'm going to serve you. I just have to serve you. God, I need to serve you. Tonight, then, we end with the choice for revival. We've seen what cripples revival, our faithlessness, our fears. Maybe just we're just, we're just too satisfied with where we're at. We've seen the, seen the capability that God's able to do it if we're willing to humble ourselves and pray and seek his face. The consequence revival, salvations, salvation, sanctification, surrendered. Tonight, then I ask you to make the choice for revival. It has to be a personal choice. Moses made his in verse 3 when he said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not consumed. Again, verse 18, when he went and said, Jethro, i got to go and serve God. It was a personal choice. Guys, we have a personal God. Every choice that we have to make is a personal choice. You made a personal choice for salvation, right? There's no such thing as group salvation. Yes, people, a lot of people might get saved at the same time. I've been able to lead, you know, five or six people to the Lord's name, but no, no, each one was a choice. We, it's a choice. Each of us must make that choice for salvation. No, not in the neighborhood doesn't get saved almost. No, no, it's a personal choice for salvation. It is a personal choice for sanctification. It is a personal choice for surrender. It is a personal choice for revival. Moses made the personal choice. We have a personal God. He's interested in you as an individual. Isn't that amazing? Moses and God talked, it says in the book of Exodus, as a face to face. We see here in the story, we look back in uh, Exodus chapter 3, God called him out by name, Moses. Moses. God knows you personally. He has a personal call in your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, Say the Lord, thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you an expected end. I got a calling. I got a plan for your life. He told Jeremiah, man, before you were ever even in the womb, I had a plan for you. I knew thee, and I, think, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. I had a plan for your life. Hey, if you're going to see revival tonight, it's not because the church sees revival. It's because you're going to come up. 
you're going to spend time in prayer. You're going to humble yourself and seek his face. It is a personal decision. If you are going to see revival, it's going to be because you chose to do it. It's a personal choice. A personal choice. And number two, it is a perpetual choice. Just like the Apostle Paul said, I die daily. Yes, it's important to have that one-time decision. Just like there must have been that one time when we got saved. But then, there must be the personal decision to get up and to keep ourselves right with God. There must be the decision that tomorrow, I'm going to do this as well. The great miracle wasn't that there's a bush on fire. Bushes get on fire all the time. It was the bush was not consumed. Yes, there must be a one time when we come up and we seek God's face diligently. But the miracles will happen when on Tuesday you wake up and say, God, I'm going to hear from you. I'm not going to stop reading my Bible until I've heard from you today. The real miracle will be on Thursday when you stop and stop unloading that grocery cart and walk over to the person and say, hey, you've got to have this track. When your heart is truly attuned to God, the miracle will happen as we perpetually make the decision year after year Day after day, God, I want revival today. Set my soul on fire today. Let me hear from you today. A perpetual decision. Time and time again. Moses then for the next 40 years had a heart for God. Did he mess up? Sure he did. He kept on, he hit the rock and God said he spoke to it, right? God said, man, I can't even let you go in the promised land now. But man, Moses and God got so close that God was the one who did his funeral. Remember that? that we, we don't know where the body of Moses is. Not even the devil knows where the body of Moses is. God hid it there in the mountains. We can see great revival. Moses saw an awesome revival, didn't he? The salvation um, of Israel from the, from the caption of Egypt. Salvation of them as a people. Man, they saw revival. They were able to build that tabernacle for God. Miracle after miracle in Moses' life as recorded as one of the most impactful in human history. All because one man decided, God, I want you. I'm going to get by that burning bush. I don't, yeah, it might make me uncomfortable. He's had to take off his shoes. He couldn't even walk there. It may, he, he just stuttered. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of fearful. But God, if you're here, I want you more. We can see revival, the greatest revival in history, if each of us, as individuals, will humble ourselves and pray. And not just pray, but seek God's face. God, I am not going to leave until I see you. If we'll start confessing our sins, if we'll say, God, that thing is evil. God, that lie is an offense to you. God, that is wrong. I have offended the holiest. If we'll come down and humble ourselves, we'll get on our faces, and we'll pray. We seek God's face. We do everything we can to get to know God. Confess our sins. Get rid of, turn away from that wickedness that is in us. Then God says, I will hear from heaven. Moses was just one man out there in the desert. Just just one guy. Yet his life was so impactful. Because in that desert place, by that burning bush, he truly saw revival. Tonight, will we see the next great revival? 
Or are we going to crimple revival? It can't happen today. Uh, I'm, I don't want to have to change my life. I really, I really don't want to, to leave my nice things. I, I don't want to take a cut from work so I can be in church on Sunday nights or on Wednesday nights. Or are we going to say, God, you have the power. God, I'm going to prostrate myself. God, I want to see the salvations. I want to become sanctified. I want my life to be surrendered to you. Are we going to make that personal and perpetual choice to seek revival tonight? It's up to you to make the choice for revival. Revival of one man, Moses. Tonight, will the next revival start here? Will you allow God to use you in that same way? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we close tonight.